0: This is Pastor Matthew
1: Castro at Central Church. I'm the Adult Ministries Pastor, and you are listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Ullman.
0: Well, tonight we're dealing with jealousy of God. I, I don't think I've ever done a study on the attributes where jealousy was one of the attributes, but. I've been spending a good deal of time in the Old Testament in recent months, and with that background, I keep running into this concept of jealousy. It's not a concept that you find much in the New Testament, but it's certainly there in the Old Testament. So what do we, what in the world do we mean about the jealousy of God? Because jealousy is a bad thing. Yes?
1: The green-eyed monster.
0: Yes. So again, the green-eyed monster, yeah. Uh, but for God, it is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a very good thing, and we, shall, we will see why. Um, uh, jealousy among humans is primarily a, a negative thing. Uh, in, in the dictionary, you would read something like this, suspicious or fearful of being displaced by a rival. Uh, and that can become malignant and malicious in humans. There's a proper jealousy that a wife ought to have over her husband and a proper jealousy that a a husband ought to have over his wife. Am I making sense to you? Does that communicate? Um, There was a a time when a student at the college was going through an awful period of her life. I, I went through a similar one when I was in college. And a uh, dear friend in Oklahoma City, an older man, he was my parents' age, said, Jim, listen. What you're going through is tough. Nobody can go through this by himself. Call me at any hour of the day or night, and we will talk. And I thought, I can't do that for Russell McKnight. I I can't in any way reciprocate to him what that meant to me uh, but maybe I can do this for this student and I gave her leave to call uh, and Jen was kind of worried about whether there was some arrogation of my affections in that and you can understand why but um, she had a very similar situation to the, to the one that I faced and so I felt that it was, it was the right and healthy thing to do for her. Folks, when you're going through those kinds of damaging events, just having somebody who's willing to listen, not give advice, just listen, is worth an arm and a leg. Is this true?
1: Yes. It is. But you can
0: understand why Jan would have begun to be worried about my relationship with this student. Yes? Absolutely. There is, there is a, a legitimate role for jealousy, but most of the time we use the word jealousy, it's all, always negative. Yes, right? So what are you doing applying this as a category to God? Uh, some of the translations in the passages that we will look at use the word zeal, and that's fine, but it doesn't include everything that's in jealousy. There's a relationship that's being uh, breached. Does this make sense? Yes, no? In in, in jealousy, there's a relationship that's being breached, and it should be faced with serious responses. And so uh, jealousy, I I would love to find a better word, but I I really can't. Uh, The root kana that we translate to be jealous Occurs eighty-five times in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't know whether that shocks you. It shocks me. Uh, the the various usages. This uh, article by H. D. L. Pales uh, is is really good. Uh, he says the various usages share the notion of an intense, ed- energetic state of mind urging towards action. There's something wrong.
1: You yes, ma'am. Is that a carryover from last week? No. Okay, all you gave me was grace. Oh, dear. I, I,
0: oh, well, in the, I, okay. No, it's not a carryover, so I'm
1: sorry. Uh, okay. Do the best you can with this. Uh, <laughs> the,
0: the, um, so, according to the tales, the the, mean, the, the word includes intense Energetic state of mind urging towards action. What I would also add is um, a protective um, element and a bit of an anger element in it because someone is breaching a relationship that should not be breached. Uh, there are two senses, then we, we've talked about the negative sense. Resentful, vindictive, suspicious, but there's also a positive sense, protective, of an exclusive relationship. My wife and I have an exclusive relationship. My children are are part of that relationship, but they must not <laughs> infringe on it. Yes, even my children yeah. must not. Yeah. Uh, and if that's the case. If I start paying more attention to my children than I do to my wife, there's something wrong. And my wife wife ought rightly to be angry and rightly ought to uh, come to me and tell me how quick I'll eat cabbage. Amen. Uh, Frequently, it includes the idea of punishment linked with fire, wrath, and vengeance. Often enough in Scripture... When God is active in jealousy, there is a, a vengefulness in this. and mm-hmm, I don't like that word applied to God either, do you? But folks, vengeance is part. I, now I'm gonna talk in about a field that I really have no preparation to talk about. But, but um, William G.T. Shedd, a, a 19th century theologian, was writing on the concept of justice in God, and he said, a state that will not defend itself against the breach of law is a state that has forfeited its right to rule. And that, that, that justice against breaches of the, of the state's order will include vengeance against the evildoer. We don't like to use that word, but, folks, there is a sense in which, brothers and sisters, let's take the most awful examples we can think about. Uh, Hitler and the final solution. Um, Was hanging enough as a penalty? Or the death of something near 12 million people was hanging enough? No, but that's the worst we could do. Yes, it wasn't enough. But folks, how bad is one sin? And how do we estimate the level of evil in a in a given sin? Well, the only way to estimate it. Folks, is the way you estimate it, in a sense, in law. And I'm, I'm way outside the field. Please understand. I may be utterly off base, people, with while you're sitting here listening. But um, the severity of the crime influences the severity of the punishment. Would that be true generally? Yes. Yes? Unfortunately, there are some crimes that there is not a severe enough penalty for. So, how do you estimate the severity of the crime? Well, the the um, the, the violence done to the to the uh, person wronged, the uh, standing of the criminal in the state. A, uh, I, I would suspect. I don't know this is to be the case. So here I'm going to talk about the military, a private. Who, does, who breaks one of the regs is not as, as culpable as a captain or major who violates the same reg. Would, would that be true? Yeah. It, yeah more responsibilities is attributed to the, to the senior. That's right. And more understanding, more, uh, uh, as you say, responsibility. Uh, so the, the higher the status of the person who does the wrong, the more severe the crime would be? Would that make sense to you? What if the person who is wronged in sin is an infinite person? Because that's the person who's wronged in sin. I don't, I can, according to scripture, I can skip sin against you. But that's not as bad. It's bad because it's sin. Yes? When, But when I sin, the only reason it's sin is because it's against God. Yes? Okay. I might c- commit a crime in, uh, for example, since we've already talked about Hitler and the, the final solution and, and World War II, I might c- commit a crime against the state of Germany during World War II, against the Das Reich. I might commit a crime about that, against that, which would not be a crime anyplace else on the face of the earth. In fact, it would be heralded as an act of heroism. Von Hofer is a good example. Yeah, and um, who's the the colonel that I can't think of his name offhand um, that that took the bomb into the into the. Uh, conference Schaffner, yeah. Um, uh, we would con- consider those acts of heroism, yes or no? Yes. Before God, they probably would be too, in that sense. Does this make sense to you? Yes. So, so the 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 nature of the person wronged must be accounted when I'm thinking about how bad a sin is, how much. Suffering is necessary and right and just to impose upon the wrongdoer. Well, when I sin against God, I sin against an infinite person. Yes? Mm-hmm. Then what is the only appropriate penalty? An infinite, an infinite penalty. No penalty. Well, no penalty that a human court can can uh, levy would be enough. But 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 hell, right. not for God. Yeah, it's enough for God. Um, he consigns us to hell, and this is this is justice. Why must justice act this way? Is this vengeful? Yes. Is it in some measure? Motivated by God's jealousy? And we shall see the answer is going to be yes. Because there are things about God that God cannot in any way uh, uh, can't find a word in my mind here uh, cannot in any way risk. He cannot compromise is the word. He cannot compromise or else he will Forfeit his right to be called God. Does this make any sense to you? complete. Yeah. So, jealousy here is often linked with punishment, linked with fire, wrath, and vengeance. Um, God's jealousy is the self-preservation of the sovereign, unapproachable, holy God. Folks, a state that will not keep, will not protect itself. Against evildoers has forfeited forfeited its right to govern. Um, So, here the next slide is going to be meaningful to some of you. Um, I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic that I will bear truth, faith, and allegiance to the same. That means I I, I had three top-secret clearances when I was in the Army. I don't know what they meant (laughs) because I never actually worked the job that I was trained to do. But um, I had three top-secret clearances. That meant that I had to be exceedingly careful about whom I talked to. Well, uh, just anybody that I talk to, because any number of things could be inferred from any casual conversation I might have. Does this make sense to you? Um, I took that oath, and the United States government took it seriously. They took it so seriously that they felt that they could ask me to do anything within the laws of our country even up to and including offering my life. They didn't do that to me. they did it to many others. They didn't do it to me but they expected me to follow the orders of all of my um, I, I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. So I was a, I, I, in my last year to, to, last year in the Army I was an E5. My rank was Specialist 5 because I was not in a position of any kind of supervisory role, so I was a Specialist 5. I had another um, E-5 who was over the office I worked in. He was a sergeant. So he was in my order, in my uh, chain of command. Above him was an E-6, a staff sergeant. Above him uh, was a lieutenant and above him was the captain. Above him was the uh, commander of our, uh, what's the battalion. Above him was the commander of our brigade and so on up to the three. We were in three corps uh, down at Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, that was my chain of command. And I was expected to, to take any order that I was given and carry it out as given, even if it meant risking my life. Otherwise, I was not bearing true faith and allegiance to my oath. Do you follow this? Well, folks, none of those people created me. (laughs) Most of those folks didn't even know my name. Yes. God created me. And he knows my name. And he has the right to my absolute allegiance. Whether I am a child of God or not, he has the absolute right of my absolute allegiance because he created me. Yes or no? Yes. If that's the case, any breach of allegiance to him merits an infinite penalty. Pardon? I didn't hear the last word. Ev- every breach of allegiance merits an infinite penalty. Um, so any asso- any association of self-centered pettiness, fear of losing, le- and we're talking about jealousy here, any association of self-centered pettiness, fear of losing property, envy, jealousy, is absent in the context of the manifestation of the, and here he had the Greek, the Hebrew word, sorry, I, put the word jealousy, the jealousy of God, the translation jealousy is therefore inadequate, but there isn't an adequate translation of this word. Much of the emphasis of God's jealousy is directed against idolatry, but his concern is not with the idol gods, but with his idolatrous people. The idol gods he will describe in a variety of ways, and we illustrated a couple of them last week. I won't go back over them now. Uh, But they are so petty. They are so foolish. Isaiah has two or three satires on idolatry in Isaiah chapters 41 and following. And one of them, a man takes a tree and he cuts it in two. And part of it he cuts up and he uses it to bake his bread. And he says, ah. I'm warm, I see the fire. The other part, he carves it into the shape of a man and borders holes for his eyes and holes for his mouth. He, he sticks his finger in the ear. There's, there's a ritual that we know from from uh, Babylonian and Assyrian literature about how, how you wake up a God. <laughs> Jan and I were in India. One, one year, several years ago, we were in... Uh, what town was that? Not a lie. and uh, our hotel. That no, was not. It was act- actually up in the mountains of, in Uti, I think, a, a really nice uh, resort area. Uh, but our hotel was right next to a dairy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and two things happened every morning about five o'clock. The, the cows started blowing. <laughs> and the second thing is. Gunshots were going off, and we were that little, you know, you're in a foreign nation, you can't speak the language, and you're hearing gunshots, and down. What, what, holy cow, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so we asked <laughs> about it, and, and you know when they were shooting off the guns at five o'clock in the morning, hmm. To went the gods out, oh. so they could feed well, them, the, the, the making when you make an idol you carve it and you uh, stick your 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 fingers in the in the ears to open the ears and put your ear, your ear up against the ear of the of the of the god so it can hear. The god couldn't hear if he did put your ear up there. And you breathe into the nostrils and breathe into his mouth so it can breathe. Because the stick this is an ancient area. I don't know anything about India in this regard, but. But this is how you did it in the ancient Aries. The the gods are are just nothing. And, And as Isaiah says, they have no plans. They don't have plans, number one, because they're not wise, number two, because they're fickle. And what they commit themselves today to do, they will change tomorrow. So they have no plans. The Lord alone has plans for his people that he has been telling them by the time he gets, you get to Isaiah 41 and following. This is 8th, late 8th century BC. By the time you get to that point, it's been 600 years since Moses, and it's been 2000, uh, 1,600 years since since uh, uh, Abraham. now that's too long. 1,400 years. Since Abraham, are you with me? Mm-hmm. What he told Abraham he would do by Isaiah's day, he has done. I will give this land to your to your offspring, not to the offspring of Ishmael, but to the offspring of Isaac. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, God has has carried out His plan. He has shown Himself to be trustworthy. But now His people are turning to jealousy. I'm sorry, to idolatry. His jealousy is not like that of the deceived husband against his rival, but rather like that of the Lord sovereign who does not tolerate anyone else next to him in the covenant with his subjects. And in that way, he claims and maintains the exclusive relationship with his people. Idolatry is preeminently a violation of covenant. So for, for Israel to, to serve the gods of the nations is to, is to abrogate all of their role in the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the covenant made through Moses. They, they ignore it, they reject it, and they're seeking a new sovereign. Well, what would have happened if while I was in the army, I tried to defect to uh, any other nation and become a citizen? Go to prison. I don't know what the, what the regs would do. I, it would be treason. I, I'm, I'm thinking even just defecting to Britain, to Great Britain. Uh, it, w- it would be treasonous. Now it would be perhaps in that case it might not have been a death penalty. We used to make people for that, or fire firing squad, but not anymore. <laughs> but it, it would be a breach of my oath. Well, folks, Creation, your creation has established an absolute right by God over you to, dis- to dispose of you as he wishes. And it is our responsibility to trust him in that, because we come to know his character. And as you look at all the character of God that is, uh, that is revealed and we've been studying, then you know that his jealousy is, is growing out of his love. For us. Um, as a consequence of his compassion and pity, God devoted himself to his land and people. Uh, this divine devotion is earnestly sought in Isaiah 63, 15. The eschatological scope of these texts shows most clearly in Isaiah 9:6 and 37. 22 and 2 Kings 19:31, where God's jealousy. Uh, is the stimulating force behind the decisive term in redemptive history. The small remnant and the coming of the Messiah are the result of God's burning love, his jealousy, for Israel. Right. Am I making sense to you? He is so jealous over his relationship with, with Israel that he will send Jesus to die to redeem us. That's not like the jealousy of a a wrong hazard precisely in our our experience. Uh, Some passages that look at this uh, jealousy aimed at idolatry Exodus 20 verse 5 You shall not bow down to them or serve them and by the way this word serve is is a word that means in Hebrew to, to be a slave. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God and the jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. We've talked about that two weeks ago, so I won't re- revisit that. Bill? Back to what you said, that God sent his son out of jealousy for, for the Jews. That's right. Was it the Jews primarily and Gentiles, secondarily, no. or? No, it, there's, there's no way of, of speaking in those terms because um, what, how do you assess? When you, when you read the paper and you read about a criminal who's been convicted and, and has been given a sentence, how do you respond to the sentence? How do you think about the sentence? Well, it doesn't matter. It's just reading a, you read about the crime that, this, that the person did, you read about him being con- convicted in court, and you read about a sentence that's been uh, assessed. How do you think about the sentence? Yes. I compare it. it. It's, it's either did. just or unjust. Right. It, it, why should they assign this much uh, this much of a penalty to this person for this small crime and so small a penalty for somebody else this Yes, we do that, do we not? Yes. Well, we've already asked the question: What is the extent of the of the dignity of the person wronged? And we've answered: It's infinite. Yes. What is then the extent of the penalty assessed for the breach of the uh, of the relationship? Must itself be in, in, infinite. If Jesus dies, what is the extent of the payment that he makes? How can he make an infinite payment? He was only on the cross for about six hours. Because he is himself an infinite person. Then the value of the person of Jesus is the estimate of the cost that was actually paid to redeem. So an infinite penalty would be necessary to redeem all of Israel. Yes? Yes? It would also be necessary... To redeem anybody else, if one, if only one of us was redeemed, then an infinite benefit would have been necessary. Yes, are you with me here? Right. So uh, the it's not that he died for Israel only, and then the Gentiles kind of get in on the on the coattails. It's that God, folks. What was God's purpose in creation in the first place? What was his purpose in creating the human race? Relationship. Yeah, but that's not what's stated in the text. What's in Genesis 1? What's the purpose that God created humanity to accomplish? World. To rule the world. Without the, without the redemption of the human race, God's purpose has failed. God's purpose cannot fail. Because there are only certain ways that a, purpose, that a plan can fail. It can fail for lack of wisdom. It can fail for lack of in- uh, foresight, for lack of resources, for that lack of authority. What, what are some others? Can you think about others? There are probably some others. Um, but God is lacking in none of those. Yes? So his plan cannot fail. The human race must rule the earth. Must. Are you with me? So the redemption of the human race is inherent in God's plan from the very beginning. No
1: matter how that rule
0: turns out. No matter how that rule turns out. what, What will happen finally when we are able to rule the earth is that we will rule it better than we would have been able to do had we been in the garden all these years. Because we will will be elevated in in wisdom and power and and understanding and goodness and justice in ways that we never would have been if we had simply been descendants of Adam and Eve. So Exodus 20, verse 5, God is jealous over the people that he has redeemed from Egypt, he paid a price for them, the firstborn of Egypt. They are his. Yes, he redeemed them. Then he has the right to ask of them anything he wishes. And one of the things he has he has stipulated is, why would you go walk worship nothings? Um, Exodus, I'm sorry, Ezekiel sixteen thirty six to forty three. Oh dear! Where did I leave my Bible? Uh, it, 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 it. Right
1: behind your laptop.
0: Yeah. Ah. Good. <laughs> this is too long a passage to put on the uh, slides. Ezekiel thirty uh, sixteen. Oh boy, this is a good passage. I'm going to interrupt you Listen. again. I went
1: upstairs. Oh, thank and went you, back Alicia. It, and these were only half as many, so it was fast. Okay. Here's. Well, do you need that one? I don't need it. You'll any. help me pass them out. Okay. <laughs>
0: Uh, we may have, I hope we have enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, I I've got the PowerPoint. I uh, Ezekiel 16. Thank you, Alicia. Would you all thank Alicia? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. She works, works so hard. Oh, okay. Yeah, thank she does, and takes on things uh, with with no. Um, I, I don't. She never says I don't have time. As far as my experience. My retirement
1: plan is out of this world. There
0: you are. <laughs> <laughs> Ezekiel 16, uh, 36. Um, it starts in verse 35. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers. And with all your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers, and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those who loved that uh, you loved, and all those you hated. I will gather them against you on every side. I will un- and and will uncover your nakedness to them, so that they may see all your nakedness. I will judge you as women who commit adultery uh, and shed blood are judged. This is Numbers chapter 5, if you want to read that. And I will bring on you the blood of of wrath and jealousy. Isn't this a great passage? Yes. And And I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw down your vaulted chamber, break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. uh, 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 uh. Um, They shall bring up a crowd against you, and they shall stun you and cut you to pieces with their swords. And they shall burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women. I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall... Uh, also give payment no more so I will satisfy my wrath on you and my jealousy shall depart from you and I will call I will be calm and will no more be angry because you have not remembered the days of your youth but have enraged me with all the th- all these things therefore behold I have returned your deeds on your head declares the Lord your God uh have you not committed lewdness in the, in, in your uh, in addition to all your abominations? Um, this this is the jealousy of God against Israel. But I want you to know that in this very passage, as we go on, uh, not just chapter forty, chapter sixteen, but in the latter chapters, God's going to restore Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, So Ezekiel 16, 36 to 43, Deuteronomy 4, 24, 5. Now, we're not going to look at all these because it would take too much time. Each one of these is talking about God's jealousy over Israel as they are engaging in idolatrous worship. Now, let me stop and talk about idolatry. We've talked about it in terms of the kind of idolatry we think of in other nations. But, false idolatry is looking for some means of fulfilling yourself instead of God. Any means of fulfilling yourself instead of God. Our nation is an idolatrous nation. Um, Idolatry is a way of manipulating another sphere of being in order to get your will accomplished. Does that sound like anything in our day? Mm. Sounds like our whole nation, doesn't it? Yeah. We are an idolatrous people. And folks, one of the ways that I, that Israel practiced idolatry was sacrificing their babies to the gods. We've got idolatry on at every abortion clinic in our nation. Nobody thinks of it as idolatry, but why does a woman seek an abortion? Now, she wants her own will. She doesn't want any, any other will imposed upon her. Am I right? Mm-hmm. That's idolatry. So we are an idolatrous people, and the chief, priest, the high priests of our idolatrous religion are the abortionists. Um, but God is also jealous for his great name. So Ezekiel 36, we're still in Ezekiel. Look at chapter 36, verse 21. This is where the hope begins in, in earnest in uh, Ezekiel, in the latter chapters of, uh, uh, leading up to chapter 40, uh, 36, uh, 21. Uh, I have bracketed in my text verses 19 to 21. So would, would you read 19 with me? So I poured out, I'm sorry, verse 19, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed among the countries. In accordance with their ways and, with, and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. God can't leave Israel in dispersion. If he does, his reputation is dead. He will have given up his right to be called God because he's not faithful to his own word. So God will fulfill that. This is the beginning of a crucial passage in Ezekiel. Look at verse 22. The text doesn't call call itself a covenant, but Ezekiel has promised a covenant to Israel in earlier passages. Verse 22, therefore, how is God going to act in jealousy for his great name? Watch it. Verse 22, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to. Uh, Act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What's he going to do? I will, verse 24, I will take you from the nations, gathering from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Um, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. We've been saying this. How many times have we said this? Um, God told uh, David and Moses. Told Israel, but to this day God has not given you eyes to see, ears to hear, or a heart to understand. Um, Isaiah, a century or more before Ezekiel, said the same thing. Uh, God said to him, Go make the hearts of this people calloused, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes so that they cannot see with their eyes, hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts, and turn, and I should heal them. And Isaiah said, "How long, O Lord?" And God's answer in grief is, uh, "Until the cities are without inhabitant, and, and mankind is is driven far from the land." So, in this time that He's talking about, Ezekiel thirty-six. He's going to give them a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree tree, and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways um, and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and for your abominations. It's not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways. And it goes on and on and on with this. The, the point I'm making, folks, is that God, out of jealousy for his name, cannot leave Israel in idolatry. Yes, sir. Does he say here in the text that he says he's going to put his spirit within you, is that really the dwelling of the Holy Spirit? Because my mm-hmm. Bible is capitalized. Very likely. Very likely. So... So in the Old Testament, is my understanding that the Spirit does not have That's right. yeah. So is this a prototype or is this a foreshadowing of indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Yes. sons in the church age. No. <laughs> the church age. You see, what we're getting is what Romans 11 says. It says, God has given to us the promises of Israel to drive them to jealousy. And once once they are are jealous of us, then they will go seeking the Lord, and they will find him, because he he will be found by them, and he will do for them what he's now done for you and me. So, no, it's a prophecy of what God's going to do for Israel, not a prophecy of what he's going to do for us. Um, We could look at Numbers 25, but it's the same kind of thing that we've been looking at here. But jealousy is also... God's concern for the well-being of his people and fulfillment of his promises. 2 Kings 19.31 Folks, God has made promises and the sinfulness of Israel has made it impossible for him to fulfill them in, in in the time frame in which he was acting in the Old Testament. Are you with me? But that doesn't mean that God's promises are dead. Because God is not dead. And he's jealous over his reputation. So, being jealous over his reputation, and now being jealous over Israel, he's going to fulfill this. Ezekiel 35, 1 to 12, is a promise of the destruction of Eden in order for him to fulfill the promises that he made. <laughs> we didn't even look at it at 36, 1 to 12. Um, so this is the jealousy of God. My folks, God is jealous over you and me too. He's jealous over everything that happens to us. So should persecution break out, and it has in so many generations of church history, should persecution break out, God will be jealous over what you suffer if you must in such a time. And he will admit it, not let it go for nothing. Uh, he will bring eternal results for all the suffering he may call you to do. We'll see that when we turn to talk about grace tonight. Uh, and it is uh, seven. Shall we start with grace tonight? Sure. Let's go on to grace. Uh, there are Many more slides here. That was an extreme Say interesting. Yeah, it's it's uh shocking and yet to uh, some I, I find it very comforting to know that God is jealous of his people. It is, yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, so when we talk about grace, the Greek word occurs 155 times in the New Testament. Uh uh, and 165 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is five point seven four times, five and three quarter times per book, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that we most often translate grace occurs <coughs> only seventy times in the whole Old Testament, uh, which is about one point eight times per book. It's com- it's completely missing. Oh boy, I missed this up there. That should have been with the preceding paragraph. It's completely missing in Matthew, Mark, First John, of all places. Matthew and Mark,
1: mm.
0: the word grace isn't there. Now, folks, that that's uh, that's fringing on a a law of of hermeneutics, and that is um, uh, the root fallacy. If I don't find the word, is therefore the concept missing? No. no. Matthew and Mark are full of the grace of God. They just don't use the word. But it's interesting to see the distribution of these things. The word is missing in the in the Old Testament from Leviticus, Joshua, Second Kings, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Hosea, to Micah, Habakkuk, to Haggai, and Malachi. It occurs once in Deuteronomy, of all places. Uh, also, in once in Judges, Jeremiah, and 1 Kings, and only twice in the Psalms of all things. That just shocks me, frankly. Psalms, uh, Hesed, that we looked at a few weeks ago, is far more common in Psalms. 129 times, I think, in the book of Psalms. So, uh, it's far more common. But Hesed is not grace. Uh, grace is completely undeserved. Hesed. Is carried out. Do you remember Kessid? Is there is that a new new thought to anybody? Is that what flat? you fly? Okay. Uh, it's often translated steadfast love in the more modern translations. Um, sometimes that word is translated grace in the Old Testament, but not very often. It's far more often translated by a Greek word that means mercy, normally. Um, But chesed, steadfast love, is always expressed in relationship. It's not, as far as I know, it's never expressed outside relationship. God doesn't practice steadfast love to Egypt. Only to Israel. Does it make sense to you? Right? So um, that's far more common in Psalms. So it occurs twice in Psalms and twice in Ecclesiastes. Three times in Second Samuel, huh? which is really strange. I can't account for that altogether. Grace defined here. If we have that definition that we use. Grace is God's riches, expense. Yeah, God's riches, at Christ's expense. So, G R A C E or unmerited favor, and both of them are adequate as far as they go. I want to be a little more specific. So, there are three aspects of or three parts of a division of a definition I'm going to give you. First is grace is the favor of God. Second, it's shown for the sake of Jesus. It, it's not shown for the sake of the recipient of grace. It's shown for the sake of Jesus. The reason God carries out grace is because of Jesus. And then third, it's shown to those who have forfeited all time on this favor unmerited favor could be simply, I haven't done anything really bad, but I haven't done anything really good either, so I don't deserve it. But God shows me grace. No, it's worse than that. I've done everything I can to make myself undeserving. And God moves in in grace and gives me favor. Um, Grace must never be compromised. Galatians 1 uh, 6 to 8 look at this now we'll be looking a little more at the text uh, than we have Galatians, uh, Galatians 1 6 to 8 um, I marvel Paul says to the Galatians that you have so so quickly um, what, what do you have what, what have they done deserted um, you, you will exchange. This, this word has some of the sense of, of exchange. Put in place. Put one thing in the place of another. Um, I marvel that you have so quickly deserted from the one who called you by the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another. Except that there are some of you who are some who are troubling you, wanting to uh, corrupt. The Gospel of Christ. What is this corruption of the Gospel of Christ that Paul is dealing with in Galatians? Works. Works. Yeah, Jesus is great, and we we honor Jesus and are thankful for His sacrifice, thankful that He rose from the dead. But you know, to be to really have a relationship with Jesus, you gotta obey the law. Uh, So he's going to talk about circumcision in chapter 2. But circumcision there is is kind of a touchstone of what defines a Jew as a Jew. Uh, So circumcision is, I've been doing some reading on this in recent months, recent weeks, and um, for the rabbis, circumcision was a commitment to take on the law. Uh, So Paul will say later, later. Uh, uh, in Galatians uh, whoever is circumcised is a debtor to do the whole law well there it is I thought I had not put it on the screen but it's there um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach, to you let it be condemned to hell the ESP says which is what a curse means in this case even an angel doesn't have the right to, to define the gospel. The apostles who have received the teaching of Jesus, they have the right to define the gospel, but nobody else has the right. So Galatians 1, 6 to 8. Galatians two twenty one. I do not set aside God's grace because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Folks, what is grace? Um, uh, all of us believe in grace and we talk about grace. Um, but you don't realize every time I put obedience as a major issue of my teaching, I'm leading you astray. Folks, your relationship with God is expressed by obedience, it's not affected by obedience. You're in Christ. There was a man who was a pastor here in the Memphis area for a number of years. Uh, I think he's still living uh, remarkably enough. But uh, uh, he said that uh, sometimes we think that we are some something like caterpillars or butterflies, but we're caterpillars. Flies are better worms. (laughs) Uh, Because we think, well, we're, yes, we're saved by grace, but we've got to really work at ourselves. We've got to work at this whole thing. We've got to find out more rules to obey. Uh, A man, I think I may have mentioned this to you. I apologize for repeating it, but a man pulled me aside one night. He said, Jim, you're a good Bible teacher, but you'd be a better one if we just make a, a slight tweak in your ministry. He said, you've got to spend more time telling us what to do. Well, Paul tells us what to do, yes, but he tells us what to do not as preserving and enhancing our spiritual lives, but as expressing our spiritual lives, expressing who we are. Um, Why don't you walk on your hands? Baker. It would hurt. People can yeah. do it. But what did you say? It would hurt. It would hurt. Yeah, <laughs> now. Blood would rust him in. Yes. Uh, it's, it's not It's not what we were made to do. Right. We were not made to walk on our hands. It's the people who have trained themselves to walk on their hands that astonish us. Yes? Mm-hmm. But we were not made to walk on our hands. We're made to walk on our feet. Being human is not determined by walking on our feet being human is expressed by walking on our feet. Am I making sense to you? You're close to saying maybe we were made to be a he or a she. Well, it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? (laughs) We don't want to go there. (laughs) Uh, But if, if my obedience enhances my righteousness, then Christ died for nothing. Is that what Paul's saying here? Am I imposing on Paul something that is not there? Yeah, John. Unless another angel preaches something, and the Mormons believe that an angel came. And that's right. Have that's right. Yeah. So Galatians two twenty one, or the preceding passage. Yeah, Zeus, what is that? Um, um, even if we were an angel from heaven yeah. I know, I'm saying. And that's also a reputation of Islam because supposedly Gabriel was the one that gave the yeah. Uh, uh, revelation. Yeah, yeah. So, Galatians 2, 20. This is an important verse, folks. Um, uh, John 1, 14, John 6, uh, and 16, Romans five fifteen. Jesus, God's word is full of grace and truth. And I mean, I pray Put in parentheses here the word faithfulness. When we say that he's full of grace and truth, full of grace and faithfulness will will be the word. point here that multiplies to us. Folks, you have in Christ all you need. And we'll see this. We may not finish tonight. Probably won't. But you will see this next week. You have all you need. We'll come back to the beginning of grace and start over with this. Grace in Christ is contrasted with the law given in Moses, John 1, 17. Um, Because the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Does that mean there's no grace in the law? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Yes. But it, that's not what it means. But the law, folks, who was the law given to? Israel. What was their spiritual condition? Say again? Ignorant. Ignorant. But, but there are two two senses of the word ignorant. Somebody who's not had an opportunity in an education is ignorant. so it's not... not Stiff necked. It's not uh, evil. Mm -hmm. Why are they ignorant? Stiff
1: necked people. They're stiff Yeah, but why
0: are they ignorant?
1: Because Because they don't
0: don't learn the lessons of what they've experienced. They've refused the lessons of what they've experienced. So they are blind. Mm -hmm. Are they redeemed? This is a trick question. Mm. Are they redeemed? By the grace of God, baby. Yeah. They are redeemed by the grace of God. How are they redeemed? From what have they been redeemed? Are you talking about the covenant of Israel? Well, I'm just talking about redemption of Israel. Is Israel in the wilderness redeemed? Yes. From what? Slavery to Egypt, but not from sin. Right. Are you with me here? Um. Do you know what Paul says about why God gave the law? The law is not appointed for the righteous, but for the wicked and for sinners. So, why does Israel have law? Because they're unbelieving. They don't trust God. So, the only thing that God can do in that situation to maintain Israel and not destroy them immediately is to give law so that There will be plenty of opportunities to express justice so that people at least will be scared into obedience, if not any other reason. We are redeemed, however, not from Egyptian bondage. We're, We're redeemed from the bondage of sin. So our redemption is different. So... When we say, in John 1, 17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came right by Jesus Christ. There was grace in the law, but the law was not based on grace. It's based on obedience and disobedience and the penalties or rewards that flow from them. Yes? Um, Acts 7, 45 and 46. David found favor in, uh, with God who gave him guidance in selecting a site for the temple. This is a citation from 2 Samuel 24. Um, Favor here is grace. Uh, Why did David meet grace? (laughs) Uh, Do do you know the story of 2 Samuel 24? No? Yes? You you, you do. You just don't don't know the address. Uh, this is where David took the census of Israel. Yes? And God came to him and said, you've got three options. Uh, you can be chased by your enemies for three years. Uh, you can be, what's the next one? Uh, plague. Plague. A plague. plague. Well, the plague is the third one. Uh, the second one, I can't remember what the second one is. Um, and the third one was a plague for three days. He said, let me fall into the hands of the Lord and not into the hands of men. Because the Lord is gracious. Um, But David is also the man who um, committed a a political murder and adultery and a cover-up. Yes? Yes. David is a man who never apparently disciplined his sons and and non and absolutely. Yes? Um, David got grace. David was a marvelous man, and and all of us will be standing in line to get to meet him. Yes? Mm -hmm. Are you you with me here? On the other hand, he might be standing in line waiting to meet one of you. Mm -hmm. Because you know a salvation that he didn't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So David is is a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man, which means he has flaws. And serious flaws. Serious failings. But he him, grace in the eyes of the Lord. A murderous adulterer gets grace.
1: Why? Because he's obedient. <laughs>
0: the murder and adultery pretty much undercut all the obedience that they did. Acts 11, 22-24. God demonstrated his grace in Antioch so obviously that Barnabas recognized it and reported to the Jerusalem church that God had opened the door of salvation even to the Gentiles. They heard down in Jerusalem that Paul was up there ministering to the Gentiles in Antioch and they sent Barnabas out to see what was going on and lo and behold, look, look there. This, this is Acts 11. See, I have a doctor from Dallas Seminary, and I know the great and wise things that most people don't know. And one of the things I know is that 11 is before 15. <laughs> yes. And, and in verse 15, the church has to come together and figure out what to do with these Gentiles. Are we to require them to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? Turn to Acts 15. Just quickly here. And our time is past, so I'll have to stop with this. In Acts 15, um, there it is. Go to well, pardon? I think we're going to Are we supposed to go to 7.30? Okay, good. Well, then I'm not late. Um, uh, let's see. First 2, when there was a, a great division and debate, no, no, small debate with Paul and Barnabas and, and the others. They appointed Paul and Barnabas and some others of their number to go up to uh, the uh, the apostles and, and the presbyters. These these are people in in uh, Antioch who are trying to figure out what to do. Are we to, are we to uh, how do we receive these Gentiles uh, uh, about their debate um, and they made their way, being sent off by the church, made their way through uh, Phoenicians and uh, Samaria, uh, explaining uh, the turning of the Gentiles and that they were were, uh, causing great uh, great, uh, joy for all the brothers. And as they came to Jerusalem, um, uh, there came together many from the apostles of the church and of the apostles and the elders, and uh, they announced the things that God had been doing with, with them. Then certain of the sect of the Pharisees arose, uh, who believed, who were believers, saying that it is necessary to circumcise them. Mm-hmm. And why? Required, Required them to. Them mm-hmm. yeah. You see, circumcision doesn't stand by itself. If, you, if you're circumcised, then you have to keep the law circumcised them to keep the whole law. What does James say about this later in the chapter?
1: Is this one law that you are guilty of?
0: Yes, well, in, in chapter 15, James says, God, through my hands, brought the gospel to Gentiles at the beginning. It is obvious, therefore, that God has accepted the Gentiles along with us on the same footing, and we must lay no other burden on them except these needful things, uh, stained from from blood and from things sacrificed, because in every city there are Jews who live there who are zealous for the law of Moses, and we don't want to turn them off. So this is a missional thing. It's not a, a doctrinal thing. Am I making sense to you? So what are we going to do in our strategy to reach um, Muslims? What are we going to do in our strategy? So, so don't go to a Muslim country as a Christian and start barbecuing pork chops in the back of the garden. Yes? Yep. Yep. <laughs> it, it won't give you any entry, so you adopt your culture to the extent that's consistent with Christian culture. The point then is that God demonstrated His grace so obviously that the church in Jerusalem had to say, God's accepted the Gentiles on the same footing with us. He's made no difference between us and them, giving giving them the Spirit, even as He has given to us. So, the law, if you want to live by the law, that's fine. But just understand what we talked about in Romans at such length a year or so ago. And I know you remember what you talked about a year or so ago. But, but um, with indwelling sin, I really can't use the law for righteousness. Because indwelling sin will turn it into a, a means of doing sin against my will, according to Romans 7. So you can use it if you want to, but we're not obligated to. And you must not think that you're better because you keep it that, than others who don't. I I pastored a small church uh, in the Oklahoma City area, and a woman came up to me in the church, and she said, you know, Jim, one of your problems, everybody's willing to tell me my problems. (laughs) Uh, One of your problems is you're teaching the Bible well enough, but you don't really understand some things. You're still using uh, white flour and what was the other? White flour and I can't remember. There was another dietary issue that she was worried about. You can't really be scared of spiritual if <laughs> <laughs> you supposed to be yeah. use white <laughs> flour. Yeah. Uh, so Acts 11, 22 to 24. Acts 15, 8 to 11, uh, This this we've just looked at. Gentile inclusion and grace was still such a problem that the Jerusalem church convened a meeting to examine the work that was being done in Antioch. Is this of God or not? And of course, um, you can't can't blast a a legalist away from his legalism very easily. He he holds on to it for dear life because he feels, if I give up on this, I'm just giving in to licentiousness. And free fall into licentiousness. But folks, do you not believe in the power of grace? You believe in it enough to get you saved, but you don't believe in it enough. If you're a legalist, you don't believe in it enough that it will be that that you can be healthy without really nailing down your obedience. We're going to talk more about that when we come back together next week. Acts eighteen twenty-seven. Folks, two weeks. pardon two, <laughs> weeks. two weeks, two weeks. Yes, we won't meet next week, but we'll meet uh three more times. And, and, and with this discussion of grace, we're going to end our attribute study. But I'm going to talk about a few of the of the names of God. I have I think 17 in the list, but we'll talk about a few of them in the uh, remaining weeks uh, before Christmas. I think the sixth might be our on last one
1: because the 14th will be doing that. The, okay, so we have like only the two exact afterwards. Right? I'm, I'm only thinking this, the sixth for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we'll do what we can on the sixth um, on those things, folks. Even f- faith itself, even faith itself is a work of God's grace, folks. Do you not re- realize that you would not have no faith at all if God had not given you faith? Do you know Philippians one i I'm sure you don't. So turn to Philippians 1.29. You have not paid much attention to it, or you would think differently. Philippians 1.29. Oh. Oh. Because to you it was given... Now, that, that's called a passive voice verb in grammar. A passive voice verb means that the recipient of the action uh, is the subject, but you don't state who the doer of the action is. Are you with me? Yes, ma'am? So I have to ask, who is doing the giving in verse 29? Who would give you for the sake of Christ. To suffer for his sake. God. 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 So so what's the other thing he gave you? opportunity to suffer. No? Look at verse 29. No, that's what he there's a, there's, a first, there's a first thing that he gave. Belief. Believing. Oh, and it's if you have belief, then that's a noun. And as a noun, it can mean doctrinal list. You, you follow? Mm-hmm. But this is this is a verb in, in Greek. It's an articular infinitive. Now I know that will make your day. You'll, you'll go home and, and stay up just, just gnawing <laughs> on that. What that yeah, what? But this is a, a verbal noun. So it's not belief that he gave us. He gave us believing. I don't believe without the grace of God. He gave me faith when I was an unbeliever. Are you with me here? If faith is a gift from God, then everything else that comes to us is a gift from God. Faith is not the thing I accomplish so that God saves me. It's the way God saves me. And folks, faith in Romans is what righteousness is. Your righteousness is not the obedience that you fulfill. Your righteousness is your right relationship with God. If obedience is what righteousness is, then when God declares sinners righteous, obedient, he's declaring a falsehood, and God can't do that. But what he can do is say that sinful believers are in right relationship with Himself because the right relationship is faith. Um, None of us have ever heard the words, I didn't ask to be born. (laughs) 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 Say again? Job. Job. (laughs) Yeah, he came close to it. Uh, But uh, we've never heard those words before in our lives what we didn't mean for <laughs> you weren't what we were looking for <laughs> uh, um, the, the fact is folks, not only did I not ask to be born physically I didn't ask to be born spiritually um, turn to John 1 and with this we must end in John 1 I keep forgetting that we ended at at 730. Uh, Verse 13. Who were born not of bloodlines. So it doesn't depend on being descended from Abraham. Uh, Who were born not of bloodlines nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of, the man, of a man. Now, what would the will of the flesh be? What's the will of a man? We're talking about birth. What's the will of a man that would be involved here? How about a husband, fathering a child? Yeah. Are you with me here? So it's not the will of a husband. It's not, the, not coming from bloodlines. And it's not the will of the flesh either. Your willingness to be born physically was non-existent. Your willingness to be born again was non-existent. God came seeking you. It's all a gift of grace. The whole of Christian existence is grace. Everything we do is grace. All our obedience is grace. All our service is grace. It's all grace. Let's close with prayer. Father, we do want to understand you. We're not sure that we do. And some of the passages that we read in Scripture make us wonder about what we've been taught and what we've been told. Um, and our own way of thinking is so foreign to your word. Uh, help us come to grips with what you're actually saying. And quit worrying about human questions and let us subordinate our whole thinking process to your word. Teach us to be somewhat like the great preacher Charles Spurgeon was, whose word, whose whose language was so salted with King James because it was his daily food. Make our thinking our speech so dominated by your word that it just comes out without even our thinking Uh, teach us to despair of ourselves I, I don't want to go to despair again Father I've been there too many times but teach us to despair of ourselves that we may rejoice in the greatness that you are for Jesus sake we pray You have been listening to Attributes of God with Dr. Jim Allman. If you're new to Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com to get more information about our ministries and our classes. We hope to see you back.